Welcome back to West Bev. I'm Caitlin. I'm Ariel. And this is your Beverly Hills 90210 podcast, where we break down every episode of the 10-season show. Today, we have Season 8, Episode 10, Child of the Night. Mary, what happened this week? Carly wants to give Steve a little space to maybe deal with the fact that he might be the father of Jody's baby. No matter how sure he is that he's not the father, Carly explains that no one can completely believe him until he takes an expensive paternity test. Steve tries to convince Carly to help convince Jody to put the baby up for adoption. Instead, Carly convinces Steve that a kid won't ruin his life, and he also gets to decide the level of involvement he would have in that kid's life, but also he should be involved if he is the father, so go take that test. Here's Zach's lucky marble. I just feel like this story lost the plot really yeah. fast. Like, yes. I I just don't even know where to get into it because, like, Carly does seven different things. And I think it could be a very interesting conversation to say that, you know, Carly kept the baby. She was a single mm-hmm. mother at a very young age. Steve's mom was a teen mom who gave him up for adoption. Let's not talk about the fact that his biological father bought him off of her, essentially. Yes. But, like, I think it, it could have been a very interesting story. Instead, we open up on, yeah, Steve being like, the baby's not mine, and I'm not taking a $1,000 paternity test to prove it. But then Carly is, like, a little slut-shamey with him of, like, you mm-hmm. slept with a person you barely know. How can I be sure that you used protection? Yeah. And it's, like, I don't know if it was the line delivery or the line as it was written But, you know, I think it was more important, like it could have been a more important conversation about being responsible when you are having multiple partners, not just you're having multiple partners. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know if it was a line or the line reading, but yeah, like, of course, somebody like your girlfriend would want you to get a paternity test. Like, I don't know that I could even be like as calm and chill as Carly is with him like if it were me in this situation I think I would be like I need more than just space I might need a breakup well and yeah she's so calm about this and just like I was just giving you some space and they literally had sex walked out of his bedroom and then someone else (laughs) showed up and said you're the father of my child like yes I I would never be calm in a normal circumstance. That happens. And yeah, I'm just like, maybe we don't see each other for a while. Yeah. And like, yeah. And and what you just said, like, she even says, I was giving you space. No, honey, I need space. Like, like, I would be the one to be like, not you, Steve, need space. I need space from you, Steve. And she's constantly talking about his maturity levels. And then to, like, have this come up just, you know, months before they met. So I looked Mm -hmm. it up. This one aired in November. Steve broke up with Claire. Steve and Claire broke up. It was a mutual thing, I guess, back in May. So, you know, it's been about six months. Carly's been here since, like, August. So, like, literally, Mm -hmm. this would have been, like, right before they met. Yeah. And – she also talks later about how she knows Steve so well. And I'm like, no, you don't. I really don't think you do. 
Yeah. Like, that's why I think it was kind of important to have, even though they are small and short, little tiny conversations with, like, David and Brandon throughout the episode about Mm -hmm. the paternity thing because they know him, you know, way better. Yeah. You know, even, like, Donna, who doesn't hang out with him just one-on-one that much, knows him more than Carly does. Heck, even Zach probably knows him better than Carly does at this point. (laughs) Well, yeah, they have the bond of playing soccer together. They have the bond of being children together. (laughs) Oh, my God. Literally, when he starts playing the video game with Zach, I was like, what are y'all doing? Like, I want to be in that Uh conversation and not this one. Exactly. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, like, I was just going to say, like, at the end of this uh, scene, he just ends up saying, like, Carly's taking Jody's word, you know, over his because she's forced, not forcing, but she's encouraging him to take the paternity test. So he's like, oh, I'm guilty until proven innocent. It's like, kind of like there's a literal fetus involved here. Like, yeah, yeah, like that's a consequence of an action. So we need to make sure that this wasn't your consequence. Yeah. Well, and on a completely, you know, unrelated note to that part of it, when is Steve ever not guilty until, until proven innocent? Yeah. Like, in the history of Steve as a character, he is guilty until proven innocent because nine times out of ten, he's mm-hmm. guilty. It's true. Like, yeah, because he's the one deciding to do the dumb thing, does the dumb thing, and then it's like, what? I didn't do anything. Well, and he's even like, I'm sure we used birth control. I'm sure we were protected. Mm-hmm. But, like, there's still that whole, like, condoms are only 99.9% right. efficient or whatever it is, 97%. So, like, yeah, okay, buddy, like – that is math I know Steve knows. Well, totally. Like, if and, – and again, like, this is not a slut-shaming thing. Like, if – but it's just a fact. Like, if he's having as much casual sex as he is, like, I'm surprised this is the first time this has happened to him, to be honest with you. You know? Like, just because, like you said, he probably understands and knows the statistics around birth control, but stuff happens. So I'm just really – kind of surprised that this like it's taken 22 23 years uh for this to happen I just yeah I feel so certain that Steve is the kind of guy that like always carries protection like he's the one that's coming to dates with it mm-hmm. like it's just he wants to have sex but he will be having it responsibly right which right. he even says because he asked Jody to come meet him at the Beverly Beat and he's like, I'm so positive we use protection. Like, I don't understand how this could happen. Mm-hmm. And she says something that I think we had kind of touched on last time of like, you're the only person I've slept with since me and my boyfriend broke up. It has to be you. Right. And she even said last December. So yeah. had the, there had been a significant amount of time in between, you know, so like we can theorize on like if that really was the only partner or if this could be like we said last week is this a dangerous situation where she's not disclosing a different partner because that might be a dangerous situation? Like mm-hmm. we can theorize about all that, but as the audience, the facts are given to us as such. She had a boyfriend. They broke up in December. It is now what? November. November. Oh, November. Yeah. Yeah. So not even just nine months later, but like 11 months later. Um, And then she and Steve slept together in the summer. Mm-hmm. So, Math-wise, it shakes out. So those are the facts that are presented to us. <laughs> yeah. Your Honor, these are the facts. <laughs> yeah. And then 
Steve makes all those comments about how difficult it is to be a single mom. Yeah. And I was really confused about this moment until he said, like, I was put up for adoption by my biological Mm -hmm. mother. And I really appreciate that she did that because I had two very loving parents. I was confused basically up until the moment he said I was put up for adoption because I honestly – Talk about guilty until proven innocent. I assumed Steve was trying to pressure her into having an abortion. I thought so too. But to your point, it was really confusing no matter what because he's like, I'm not ready to be a dad. And Jody's just like, I get that. And it's almost like she's not even really asking him to do anything. Like, yeah. She's letting him choose his involvement here. She's letting him choose his own adventure here. (laughs) You know, like she's the one that's being like, I get that. Like, you really think I'm ready to be a mom? You know, and like, I understand that. And then and then he just goes into this diatribe about how terrible it is to be a single mom. He's like, I've seen it. It's hell. I think he says it's murder or something like that. Like he says like a pretty extreme word. And then it's almost like she's like bullying or he's like bullying her into not becoming a single mom which is then yeah i was like Mm -hmm. is she trying to is he trying to get her to have an abortion but then he does the whole thing where he's like don't you want to be able to choose what kind of man you have and what kind of job you get like women can't have a man if they want a man and a job if they want a job if they have a child like i'm sorry steve like go back to the 1950s please so it was just all very confusing. And she's like, I'm not going to get an abortion. He's like, okay, fine. Get an adopt, like, let it- give the kid up for adoption. And I'm like, this is not your choice, homie. And either way, you're still the dad. Potentially. Yeah. <laughs> so this is the thing is it seems pretty straightforward through most of this story that Jody is not expecting Steve to be in a relationship right. with her or like mm-hmm. do anything. She has never on screen they might have had conversations off screen that we haven't seen but on screen she has never been like you got to pay for things i'm going to take you to court you need to have custody of this baby at least sometimes like she's never said any of that she's like hey i just want you to know and then carly even does the thing of like you can choose to be as involved as involved in it as you want and then the drama is steve being like well i don't know how involved i want to be this is really unexpected Mm-hmm. But then, yeah, they start doing all this stuff of Steve making comments about being a single mom. And I'm like, you're a privileged man. Like, yeah, please don't talk. Like when he asks Carly to talk to her later, he has bad motivations. But yes. that is the better conversation to be like, I've seen it firsthand that being a single mom is hard. I invite you to talk to Carly and she would love to talk to you about this because she's been through this experience. You know, something yeah. like that. Totally. But instead, you know, we get a 22 year old, you know, trying to meddle, you know, like the intentions and the motivations, like you were saying, are very much around like, no, he's trying to like alter the situation to work out in his favor. And there was one thing that I kind of like kept stopping down on. And I think it was when he was trying to persuade um, Carly to talk to Jody and because, like, obviously, like we just said, the motivations seemed weird. And the way, the language he used to, like, try to get this to happen was weird. I did love that Carly was like, I'm not going to tell her what to do with her own body. Like, thank you. That was, yeah. Yes, thank you. Um, 
But then, yeah, when Carly's starting to talk about the different levels of responsibility, you know, like Zach didn't know his own dad, but he asked about him. I think she says that a little bit later, but Mm -hmm. she's saying like, oh, you could just provide, like, I don't think she says this, but essentially like there's financial responsibility, there's literal involvement, and then there's levels of that, right? But what kind of rubbed me the wrong way is Steve kind of keep, he keeps going off on, quote unquote, his choice, like, where's his choice in the matter and it's almost like this is this is the point where i wasn't sure where the show really fell either way because immediately right off the bat in this in this scene they're like her body her choice Mm -hmm. but then they're like but what about the man's choice and i'm like i think that's fine to an extent because it's like the choice in the matter is exactly what Carly was just talking about. The level of responsibility. Yeah. But I don't know why they were pushing it so hard. I think that's the thing. Yeah. They're, they keep doing this like, you know, Carly tells him about Zach's dad and how they got pregnant after five months of dating. They were very young and she wanted to keep the baby and he didn't. And Steve is like, well, yeah, what, what about his choice? And yeah. that convinces Carly to talk to Jody, mm-hmm. but I'm sitting here and being like, his choice is that he is not involved in Zach's life, and Zach doesn't know who he is. Like, yeah, he he was involved in the making of Zach, and yes. then made the choice to not be involved in the raising of Zach. Like, yeah, I, and it's like if you don't want to have to make a choice like that, choose to be more careful when having sex. I, I don't know, like, or you accept the responsibility of what happens when you're two consenting adults entering into a sexual relationship. Like, I, I guess it, it's such a it's such a delicate topic, right? Mm-hmm. And it's such a delicate way to handle this topic in this episode where you can't exactly provide an entire episode about it. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's it's TV that aired in 1997, so like, hundred <laughs> percent. It is so hard because. Like, you know, I don't plan on having children in my life. I have had those conversations with my, you know, partners in the past of just like, if that comes up, like, this is the plan of attack that I tend to have, but I also do this, this, and this to prevent that in the first place. Like, conversations that you don't exactly have with someone you spent one weekend with. So I get it. I totally Totally. get it. It just, it felt so weird to me Mm -hmm. that they spent so much time on like Steve made a mistake and then has to choose his involvement, but he's pushing of like, I'd rather just not have to make the choice. Mm-hmm. And then, well, what about Zach's dad? He didn't have a choice. And Carly saying, yeah, you're right. I'll talk to her. Yeah. That's where it felt weird to me. Like the fact that it, like it, it, it devalued Carly's position as a single mom and as somebody that can be a genuine resource for Jody. And, and I just, I, like, I understand the show was more from Steve's, you know, POV than Carly's. But I think that would have been an excellent learning opportunity for Steve in his POV. So Mm -hmm. I don't know. I, I, you know, I would like to say though, I appreciate the well-rounded multifaceted take on this topic in this show in 1997. Like I very much appreciate that because I don't think that happens enough. And I actually think they handled it well in the sense that they were like, 
this is what a 22 year old would think this is what a 22 year old man would think you Mm -hmm. know like all of that stuff i just wish they would have maybe just given carly a little bit more credibility yeah agreed because you know there's this quick scene that is really more related to the david storyline but we get evidence that steve is talking to his guy friends about what to do Mm -hmm. where steve and david are talking and david asks if he's going to take the test but the next scene after that is when Jody shows up at Carly's and there's toys everywhere and Carly's like, oh my God, don't mind the mess. Toys? What toys? I don't see any toys, mm-hmm. which was adorable. Yeah. <laughs> up until the part Jody's like, I think she says something like, oh, did you call me here to like talk me out of this? And Carly's just like, yeah, I called you to tell you that you're wrong, but I don't believe that. It's like, okay, so now you're just throwing Steve under the bus with his baby mama. Exactly. Like – And again, like, I'm okay with, like, changing of the mind and, like, rethinking and reevaluating. But, yeah, it was just a little, like, maybe don't say that part out loud, right? Yeah. Like, just have the stance without telling somebody you changed your stance. It's so At least to somebody who didn't know you were on the other side to begin with. (laughs) Yeah, because, like, you know, there is a chance that Steve decides to be involved with this baby, that it is his. Right. He wants to be involved. He and Carly stay together. And then all of a sudden, he, Carly, and Jody are all co-parenting together. Totally. And they started off this relationship with, like, you have to convince her to give the baby up. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, Steve told me to convince you to give the baby up, but I won't. Yeah. And, like, I don't know how much trust that in is – I don't know how much trust that builds with Jody here if yeah. Carly's going to be in the picture for a long period of time, right? If I mean, on the one hand, it's like, okay, cool. You just told me the diabolical plan and are not doing it. Cool. <laughs> but at the same time, it's like, wait, you were going to do this? Like, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, she – and then, of course, like, it, it kind of – there are some good points in this in this scene, too, about how, like, even though this is hard, even though this sucks, even though this was something I never saw happening, like, I'm good. You know, not every parent has that and has Mm -hmm. the ability to say that. So on the one hand, I'm like, I appreciate that you're acknowledging how hard it is, but that you're okay and you're in a good position. I just kind of also wanted Carly to be like, but you need to have a good support system or Mm -hmm. you need, you know, like, la 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 la. some of the things that it doesn't just you don't just snap your fingers and bam you're fine you know because raising a child on your own especially at a young age is extremely hard raising a child on your own at any age is extremely hard and i i would i could have done without the whole like children are a blessing because i think it just misses the point like yeah having a child is one of the great miracles of this world like it's it's amazing we can literally like hatch an egg in our body and then it come out like it's insane like all of us you know like it, it the science on it is insane um but sometimes they are not a blessing and that's okay too so i think it's i just would have changed that one line like everything else i was fine with i just would have been like yeah like children happen <laughs> like <laughs> i don't know you know like carly's whole speech right there like when Sh- jody first showed up and they were talking about you know, the toys and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Cute. Then the baby starts kicking and then Carly's like, children are a blessing. Steve is going to stand up to his responsibilities. I was like, okay, you missed me here. Yeah. Because it's like, you don't know that. And also like, you don't, you have not asked. 
I mean, Jody talks about like she willingly gives up like, hey, here are my fears. I'm kind of freaking out. This is crazy. But you don't actually know Jody's stance. You know it through Steve's filter. So instead of just going right to like, hey, this is going to be great. Steve's going to really step up. I would have appreciated being like, I think Steve's going to step up. And my situation turned out great for me. Mm -hmm. But what are where are you? Where's your head at? You know, like kind of turn it on. Like this was a good scenario for me, but I would like to know how you're feeling inside. Like that to me is a better conversation than just being like children are a blessing. Like, yeah, sometimes they're not. <laughs> well, and that gives Carly so much more of a like personality and like yeah. giving her character more depth and more roundness mm-hmm. versus just being like I'm Zach's mom and also Steve's girlfriend. Totally, a hundred percent. Yes, so much more eloquently said than what I just said. I just I I don't think I the word characterization popped into my head and I was like I should use this. <laughs> I can build a, a sentence around a word that yeah. co- came into my head. You're like, "Ooh, Caitlin's saying a bunch of words. Let me sum it up." <laughs> that sounds like a definition. I'm going to say the word. <laughs> like a very much game show. What is? Yeah, exactly. What is personality? Oh man. Ugh. But yeah, like and that's that's kind of why I think I'm talking about this so much is because I think there's so much here yeah and it could and like again I appreciate so much of what they did because it's important like this is a very important conversation and scenario that happens all the time so I just get a little passionate about it because I think they're so close Mm -hmm. but at the time they were probably right there and it was wonderful and it was great so I love that we're able to take something that worked at the time but can still build on it you know 25 30 years later Mm-hmm. Well, and I I love, like, yeah, speaking of the things that happen well, we get this short scene again where, like, it's really part of the other story, but it shows that Steve is talking to his friends about these things. He's decided to get the DNA test. He walks out the door with Brandon, and Brandon's like, hey, I think you're making the right call here. Yeah. And the last thing we see from them, if I'm not mistaken, is when he's at the place to get the DNA test – and Carly shows up with Zach's lucky marble and was like, I didn't tell Zach what was happening, just that, like, you could use some luck. Which then I'm like, what are we wishing for here? Exactly. Like, what's what's the coin flip here? Uh, which side are we calling? Yeah, there was, the, there was that one scene where, like, Zach and Carly – or, sorry, uh, Carly was putting Zach to bed. Oh, and yeah. immediately Steve's like, okay, he's asleep. Tell me what happened. I'm like, can we get out of the bedroom first? I know. Like, hallway, sir. Yeah. But yeah, like, the only thing I wanted to say in that is that, like, I I really appreciated Carly's point from Zach's point of view. Like, that was a side that we hadn't really talked about yet. Mm-hmm. Um we got it from Steve's a little bit in this, in the sense that he's a he's an adopted child, but he also didn't know he was adopted until he was like sixteen. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a scenario where Zach knows his situation at a very young age, and so Carly's like, no matter what happened, I thought Zach was never going to bring this up, or if he did, I could say one thing and it'd be done. But children are very curious; they're very inquisitive, and Zach always asks kind of his place in the world where is his dad why did his dad not stay around like things like that and then steve says something extremely insensitive and i didn't like it because he basically says like even if this kid is his even though he swears it's not 
is going to ruin his life. I was like, that cannot be true. And if that is true, you made your choice. Like, this choice has been made. Well, you don't and, want involvement. And nothing like saying this to the woman you're dating who, like, literally last episode was like, our relationship has changed because you have opinions about having a kid. I just – this is the kind of thing that makes this miss me. I know. It was just too – it was, like, a little bit too many directions that then I, – I think it was important for what Carly said – but then Steve's reaction, I was like, ooh, yeah, maybe not. And, okay, so here's the thing. I feel like next episode, because we've also talked about how there's no way that this is Steve's kid. Yeah. Like, next episode, we're going to get the paternity test results back, and then what? Yeah. Like, I cannot fathom how this story is going to play out other than the fact that Steve does not have a child. And I'm really afraid of what's going to happen because I don't want there to be a scenario where now, like, Steve feels vindicated and attacks Jody. Not attacks physically, but, like, I don't want there to be a scenario where, like, all of a sudden Steve's like, see, I was right, you're wrong, we shouldn't believe you. You know, like, that's where we get into really dangerous territory is if now the lesson here is that we just don't believe a woman, you know? Yeah. Well, and I'm also scared that, like, related, mm -hmm. he's going to find out that the kid is not his, get really excited about it, and then Carly be like, so this is how you react to potentially yeah. being a father. That's a good point, too. Yep. Like, yeah, I just – now I feel like there's no winning here and I don't know what to do. Well, I think the the win, I think the win, if the scenario is, is that it's not Steve's child, I think the win is that Steve gives Jody an opportunity to explain in more detail, you mm -hmm. know, like, or she truly didn't know. Like, I just don't know what scenario would make sense because of the facts that we were presented. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's the other thing is, like, what's the plan here? Because she's – the facts that we have been presented, she is very clearly pregnant. Yes. And there's only one person that she acknowledges to having sex with in, a, in the entire calendar year. Yeah. Like, I think it would have been different if she would have been, like, there was you and someone else. But, you know, that – like, maybe, like, it would have made sense if she would have been, like, there was you and someone else, but I only had sex with you, you know? Yeah, or, like, I was with them, like, too long ago. Yeah. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I, I mean, we'll find out next week. Like, it has to happen next week. There's no way that they're going to be like, yeah, it's 1997. Paternity tests take five weeks, so Jody's just <laughs> right. going to be here. Like, I don't know. She's going to have the baby, and then you find <laughs> out it's not yours. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess we'll find out. I assume that a $1,000 paternity test can be turned around in one TV week, but – I don't know. Yeah, I would think so. Anyway, Mary, what else happened this week? David finally asks Mel for some help with his money problems. His advice? Declare bankruptcy and also use this check to pay back what you stole from Donna. 
David seems surprised that the check doesn't fix his relationship, kind of the way Val is surprised that turning up unannounced to Noah's boat to cook him a fancy candlelit dinner doesn't undo her dating him and Cooper Hargrove at the same time. While David is moving his stuff out of the beach house, Donna spends her time on Noah's boat sketching and sailing and kissing. Of course, Val stops by unannounced again to witness that and can't wait to tell David all about it. David doesn't get a chance to confront Noah, though, because remember how he borrowed all that money from loan sharks? Good thing Noah has tons of secret money and a savior complex to help him out of the mess. I lost my mind at the Noah story. but I know. I can't well, wait to get there. Yeah. Like, <laughs> this story was really short. I don't have a ton of notes about it because it mm-hmm. felt pretty linear and pretty obvious about what's happening. But yeah. nothing made me happier <laughs> when they show up at the pee pad and David and Mel drive up at the same time. And he's like, hey, dad, thanks for meeting me. And Mel's like, yeah, you know, I placed odds with Jackie that either you're going to grad school or you're engaged. Am I right? And David goes, not exactly. <laughs> you're close. <laughs> and he tells him almost everything he doesn't totally mention the loan sharks yeah but he mentions forging the checks and mel is just like what is wrong with you like literally he's like oh my god like you could just see mel's face just die and then go to anger you know like (laughs) he showed up thinking it was an engagement which is a bold choice that like david wouldn't come with donna to see the both of you Mm, fair. <laughs> just be or, like, hey, dad, can you meet me in a parking lot? I'm engaged. Yeah, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> or the, yeah, like, he wouldn't have talked about it beforehand. Like, oh, I'm going to propose to Donna. I got to go talk to Dr. Dad and, and Felice. Like, you know, like, oh, my God. Yeah. And the fact that he just word vomits. He's like, oh, my credit cards are maxed out. I'm in debt to six different vendors. The bank won't loan me a nickel. And I paid last month's rents. By forging one of Donna's checks. Like, just all of it. And Mel cannot believe it. (laughs) But also he can. Oh, yeah. I mean, the fact that he's immediately like, I have a lawyer that can help you draw up the bankruptcy paperwork. And I'm going to messenger over $2,500 so you can pay Donna back. Mm -hmm. Like, that's a pretty fast response. It's extremely fast. And it's Like like... He goes into problem-solving mode so fast, you wonder if he's dealt with this before. (laughs) I mean, you gotta think with everything that David's done. He's like, at least it's $2,500 and not $250,000 like last time. True. Good point. Good point. Good point. Yeah. And then, like, David gets so close to telling him about the loan sharks. But, like, there is no way that Mel just has $22,000 sitting around. Yeah. And if he does, like... It's definitely not liquid, right? Like, Mm -hmm. it's in retirement. It's in, like, a 401k. It's in, you know, money market or something. It is not just, like, yeah, I'll just take this out of my checking account, you know? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I've always thought that, like, you know, you've got Steve who is a certain level of wealth because of his parents. And then below that, you've got, like, David and Kelly with Mel and Jackie. Mm -hmm. And so – and then below that is – I guess or maybe on par is Jim Walsh, Jim and Cindy. So like I guess I'm not totally surprised that he was just like, yeah, I have $2,500 ready to give you. 
Yeah. But at the same time, if I was that age and I went to my parents for $2,500 because I'd been stealing it, I don't know that they would have been like, sure, we've just got that ready for you. Like you said, they'd probably be yeah. like, I have to make a call. Yes. I have to take a penalty on this. Like, <laughs> Yeah. And then above all them, of course, is the incredibly wealthy Noah Hunter. So... <laughs> Noah Hunter, also known as if Brandon and Dylan had a baby like we always wanted them to. Okay. Like, that's what I was waiting to mention. But, like, last week I said that Noah's the new Dylan because of his trust fund and his, like, broodiness. But then I realized he's Dylan and Brandon. Because he's got (laughs) the white knight complex, but then he also has all this money that he doesn't know what to do with. Because we remember that the reason that Dylan lost all of his money was because he wanted to invest it and do good things. Yes. So, like, it's there, but then, like, you have truly a white knight complex. Like, Brandon is the one that goes in and saves everybody. Dylan's usually just like, well, shit sucks for them. I'm going to (laughs) go clean the ocean. Right? Oh, my God. Oh. Yeah, I can't wait to talk about that a little bit more. I know, but But we have have so much first. So much, because we go to his boat, which I keep forgetting that this is actually Dr. Dad and Felice's boat, and Nana, Nana, Noah, (laughs) just works there. Nana, that's the new ship name. Oh, (laughs) okay. I was getting ahead of myself. (laughs) Yeah, I like Nana better than Doa. Okay, but that one's so much funnier. (laughs) But anyway, (laughs) we're on the boat that Noah lives and works on, and he is wearing denim on denim. When he had that denim button down with the sleeves ripped off, I was just like, never wear anything else. (laughs) Right? This is it. Why am I kind of into this? <laughs> Literally, I said Val breaks into Noah's boat and he catches her wearing the most amazing shirt. Right? Like, because I actually think I really loved the shirt. Like, the fact that it was, like, oversized. He had part of it tucked in, part of it not tucked in. The sleeves were gone. The sleeves came over the shoulders a little bit. Like, I don't know why it worked, but it did. It is, like, what in my mind is classic 90s. Yes fashion like it was like it's perfect it's also so versatile because you could like what was he doing before this was he painting something was he like working on the boat or was he just out for a stroll like what was he doing (laughs) was he out for a stroll he's so mysterious (laughs) well he's probably whatever dylan says in the first episode we see him and that i always forget so mad bad and dangerous to know i'll never forget it (laughs) <laughs> and I'll never remember it. <laughs> I do love this, though. Like, there's kind of a dichotomy with what happens with Val and Noah and David and Donna. Totally. Because, you know, Val has shown up with this fancy dinner, and she's like – she's saying, you know, people make mistakes, and Noah just shuts her down. He's like, yeah, I've made plenty, and I know which ones are unforgivable. Yep. And then she's just like, well, why wouldn't you just let it go? <laughs> I know. I'm like – Look at Noah. Look at his trauma. He can't let things go. Like, that's part of his trauma and his charm. So please leave. <laughs> that's literally the whole point. And I love that he stood his ground because I was like, Me as too. much as Val is such a fun character to watch, no one should date her right now. 
Well, and this is kind of a low point even for her. Like, we saw last yeah. week when, like, as soon as Noah, like, rejects her, she goes into, like, attack mode. You know, very mm-hmm. much like, Viper, I'm going to poison you with all the things that you've told me that I'm going to turn around and, and make horrible that yeah. you've entrusted me with. And then this time, she's kind of gone into, like, the desperation mode a little bit more, where she's like, I can't, like, nothing I'm doing is working. But at this point, she's not even being mean verbally. She's just like, why? Like, I don't get this. Like, what is a Like, why are my charms not working? So. Yeah. She's, like, harping him. She just refuses yes. to take no for an answer. Yes. Which, speaking of not taking no for an answer, mm-hmm. is exactly what's happening with David repeatedly. Like. Yeah. He surprises her at the beach apartment when she's like, I told you not to do this. You should have called. Mm-hmm. He's like, well, if I called, you wouldn't have answered and you wouldn't have agreed to speak to me. And it's like, yeah, that's the point, David. Yeah, you're not listening. Mm-hmm. And so he apologizes. And he kind of gives a pretty good apology. But, mm-hmm. like, I love that Donna takes the money. She's like, well, you stole this from me, so I am taking that back. But I'm not accepting your apology because you think paying me back is the apology and you exactly. didn't actually learn your lesson. So like, yeah, I loved that he tries to verbalize. He's like, look, I, what I did was wrong. Mm-hmm. I should have come for help. And instead I hid all of it and I stole from you and I did this and this. So here's your money back. And she's like, thanks for that money. Now you should leave. Yeah. I loved it too, because it, it speaks to just the like complexity and the depth of the um, betrayal that Donna feels. Right. Mm-hmm. And, I also love that David, you can really tell, was really, really trying to deliver a very sincere apology. And I really do think that he did a good job. Like, yeah, I truly loved his apology. That's a real apology, right? That's him, like you said, acknowledging what he did was wrong and not just that it was wrong, but like what he should have done instead and doesn't blame her for anything. He completely takes all of the blame. So everything was great and right, but I also think it's okay that Donna accepts, like, like accepts the apology for what it is, but doesn't accept that it's the full apology and like what Mm -hmm. she's really upset about. Like, I truly believe that Donna's like, I can forgive the, the actual stuff you did. What I'm having a hard time getting past right now is the intent and the betrayal and the the other stuff that isn't actually like tangible, you know, like, okay, you forged a te- check in my name. I can forgive that eventually. What I can't forgive is the lies. I can't forgive the, the, tr- the trust that you didn't have in me, you know, the faith that you did, like all this stuff. So I think it's like kind of a perfect scene. I loved it. And I love how, quiet she is yeah. every time they're talking because like you know this is killing her yes and you know she tells him that he has to get his stuff out that she'll be scarce tomorrow so that he can do it mm-hmm. and she wants to go hang out on her parents boat where noah is <laughs> which like okay <laughs> sure and then they have a whole conversation that basically ends with him being like, well, if you need inspiration or to clear your head or basically anything in this world, sailing's the way to do it. So I'm going to take you sailing. I like just the, the jump at the opportunity, the seas, the carpe diem of it all on Noah to be like, 
I sussed this out immediately. Let's go sailing. You know, like, because he did the same thing with Kelly Mm -hmm. when she was in the hospital. And I'm like, I don't think he has bad intentions. I just think he is very much like, I need people. I like company. Mm -hmm. I don't know how to express it. But if I see an opening, I'm going to take it. You know? No. His love language is taking people sailing. Yes. It's quality time and sharing in his passions. Like, that is, yes. And, like, is it bad timing? Absolutely. Is it probably for the wrong reasons? No. I just think, like, Noah does, like, whatever. I think Noah just needs someone. And he's seeing an opportunity and taking it. You know, Donna perhaps should have been like, yes, but this is platonic. You know, nothing more. Like, you know, like, Donna probably should have set some expectations here. But... I'm actually not mad at what happened. <laughs> I was about to say platonic sailing, but like how many times have we seen platonic, non-platonic mouth kissing? Like, <laughs> Especially this, with Donna. <laughs> yeah. This group of friends does not know the difference between platonic and non-platonic. <laughs> oh my gosh. And also, so while this is happening, because we're like setting up all the stuff for like the fallout this evening, basically, yeah. is David is packing up the beach apartment. Uh, Steve came to help him. This is where they had talked about taking the paternity test, but David also mentions that uh, he wants to do the right thing by everyone and that he borrowed $22,500 from a loan shark. And then I tried to do the math because he says he pays down like $7,500 or whatever, but it was Mm -hmm. due yesterday, which means he's now back up 50%. So I think he's right back at $22,500. Like I think he just – he basically paid off his interest. Yeah, it was like when you buy a house and you're not paying principal on your mortgage for so long and you're yeah. just paying interest. <laughs> yeah. And like, okay, so he says all this stuff, but his dad gave him $2,500 to pay Donna back. Yeah. So he borrowed twenty two five exclusive of the 2500 for Donna. Like he just yeah. never got that money back. I think so. Because that kind of pisses me off. Well, I know. Because if he's in debt to so many people and Donna and he he didn't tell Mel, it's like we probably actually don't have the full picture of how much David owes to everyone. So, Because also he has all that credit card debt. Yeah. I mean, he told his dad about the credit cards and the vendors and then he tells Steve just creditors. Right. So, yeah, like – I don't think we – I agree. I don't think we have a full view of how Mm -hmm. much trouble he is in other than the fact that he is already a day late to a loan shark and the people that know are very terrified for him. Exactly. But that's only one of the many things that will happen tonight (laughs) because when Donna and Noah get back from sailing, Val is walking in and – She's got her shoes off, so you can't hear her. <laughs> She's just sneaking in, and she sees them kiss, and they have no idea that she did. Nope. Like, and it's so innocent at first, although they are talking in very close range, you know. And I don't, 
I did not even clock what they said, wasn't even paying attention to the conversation because all I could focus on was that Val was there seeing the whole thing. And I'm like, they're going to kiss. They're going to kiss. They're going to kiss. They're going to kiss. And they do. And she sees. As soon as she showed up. Yeah. I was like, this conversation means nothing because she's either going to hear something out of context or she's going to take it out of context to somebody else. Like it doesn't matter what is happening. What matters is that Val is here and they don't see her, but she sees them. Yep. And she leaves right in the nick of time. Let's also talk about how many people just can sneak onto this boat. Right? There is like no – which is such a like picture of the 90s, right? Like just leaving cars unlocked, leaving houses unlocked, leaving boats unlocked. Like this is just what you do. You have no fear for like burglary or, you know, anything. Like Like wild. Yeah, earlier in the day or yesterday, Noah had been like, how did you get on my boat? And Val was like, I told the harbor master I'm your girlfriend. But like how many times did she just come on this boat? Exactly. Like, it's not like that mattered. What, is there a new harbor master today? Yeah, I exactly. Know. I know. But yeah, it was this whole thing that Val sees it and then they break away, you know, pretty quickly after that and Donna leaves because she's like, okay, David has to be done by now. Mm-hmm. But No. David still refuses to respect her space and stays at the beach apartment waiting for her to come back. Yeah. And the only thing I had to say in this scene, really, outside of just, yeah, like, what happened? Like, he had just been waiting all day. I don't really like that Donna says she still has hope for them because I feel like it's a little bit unfair Mm -hmm. for her to say. And not just for David, but for both of them. Agreed. Because I think it doesn't allow her the ability to, like, detach from the situation and kind of get the space and time that she needs but also it's like false hope to david who had in you know hours previously been asking for another chance so i i just think it could have been left unsaid even if donna felt it i completely agree and i think you know while what he does later is still objectively wrong yeah i think her saying this right now might have given his adult post-breakup brain Mm -hmm. permission to do this. Like, we'll talk about all that when we get there. Yeah, no, 100%. Because, like, the next time we see them is just when, like, it's literally that night. He's gone. Kelly is going to come spend the night because he moved out today. Love that she brought over a bunch of snacks and romantic comedies. Mm -hmm. And then Donna's like, I actually took the day after the breakup pretty well. And this was so funny to me that Kelly was like, you got over the breakup by hanging out with your parents. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) She's like, no, that surely that can't work. (laughs) Absolutely not. And then she's like, no, with Noah. And you know, it's fine. We both know the kiss is a mistake. And Kelly is just like, wait, what? I know. And then she says one word. Wow. (laughs) It just sometimes they're just little girls and it just like I don't think Tori Spelling gets enough credit like we always used to give like you know handling the emotional scenes to to Shannon Doherty and we always gave it to Luke Perry which is still true but I think we've kind of overlooked Tori Spelling a little bit just because she's not always given the the right storylines but I think back to you know the the situation with the newsroom and like the Ray stuff and and all of that and this delivery we know she's good at comedy so this is like a little bit of comedy but also like seems so 
easy and fluid that I'm like, man, eh, Tori's spelling is a, so she's just so good because this scene and I know half of it is because Jenny Garth is there and they're besties. And so mm-hmm. it's like easy to act with your friends like that. But I'm just like the way she just turns around casually and she's like, you know, I, I, you know, we thought the kiss was, you know, whatever, but like just casually slips it in and it felt so natural. <laughs> it was so good. And like you said, like you can tell it's because they're friends. Like it's really yeah. fun. We've talked about this a million times watching Brandon and Steve doing stuff together. I will literally never forget Brandon, Steve, and Dylan in the tooth decay commercial or whatever, the <laughs> mouthwash. I will never forget it for all my life because it just seemed like they were having fun. Yeah. So yeah, even if this is like three seconds long, right. the fact that the two of them seem like they're having fun together. It's just gets it. It's so cute. It's so cute. Yeah. And not having fun. Well, I guess Val's probably having fun. She's having but- so much fun. At the pee pad, you know, David's got all of his boxes and Val comes in immediately to talk to him about Donna and he goes, don't stir it up. And she's just like, stir what up? The fact that Donna kissed somebody else today? Total lip lock. Total (laughs) lip lock. Oh, did I mention Noah's downstairs at the bar? Yeah, BT dubs. He's downstairs right now. No reason. (laughs) So... I love her and her smile when he leaves. Like she, she's she got that grin on her face like the cat that got the cream. She knows exactly yes. what she did. And she was just like, nobody wants to kiss me. I'm going to go have fun. Like she's so good. Never change. Literally never change. I, I think – no, I did write that. I just said that and forgot that I wrote that and <laughs> then looked at my notes. And I said, girl, Valerie, never change. <laughs> I love her so much. Like, it makes no sense that anybody likes her around, but I love her. She's so fun. Like, it's so dumb. And we can say this because she does not do this to us. Like, right? Like, she does not exist in our own lives and is not causing, like, all of this chaos in our own lives. But, God, she's so fun. She's such a good character. Right? Like, I feel like in reality, she'd be, like, persona non grata. Like, she would not be allowed in this club. She would not be allowed in the peach pit. Nobody would want to talk to her. No. But no. But so David like immediately goes downstairs ready to start a fight because Mm -hmm. he's very quick to anger as always. Yes. But the loan shark is there and they proceed to have that whole conversation about all the money that David owes right behind Noah. Right in front of him. And of course, like as soon as we see Noah, I'm like, oh, Noah's going to save the day. Like, yeah, 100%. Um, Like I literally said – David goes down to talk to Noah at the bar. His loan shark and the other guy is there. Guaranteed Noah's about to save the day. Like, those were my verbatim notes. Because I'm like, this is easy. This is so easy. Because nobody knows except for Brandon. I think just Brandon. I think it's just Brandon. Yeah, that he's incredibly wealthy. And we know it. We've known it for a while. So I'm like, yeah, of course. This, this is his his perfect moment. I had a moment, though, where Noah buys that bottle with a hundred dollars oh, instead yeah. of the thirty-five, and I was like, "Is this how Noah's going to save the peach pit or the pee pad? It's just like the rest of the week he's just going to come in and overspend on the alcohol." Okay, that's hilarious. I was so confused. That's such an easy way for him to do it. Like, just keep bringing a surplus into the bar. <laughs> yeah, which I mean wouldn't work based on the deadlines, but no. like the idea. That he takes this full bottle, 
goes outside, smashes it against the wall, and they're like, okay, fine. You can have another 24 hours before we beat the shit out of you. I totally didn't think that he was going to use the bottle to smash it against the wall and then use the shards to like threaten him. I thought he was going to whack him over the head with the bottle. See, that's what I thought too. And I was like, I think that would kill him actually. Right? Like that is a full <laughs> bottle. <laughs> but no. And then and what if it wasn't glass? What if it was like one of the cheap alcohol? Plastic. <laughs> plastic. <laughs> like <laughs> my God, I would die. Like it's absolutely die. Or something. And he just comes up to us like boom. <laughs> he comes out and he's like, I'm not a guy to mess with. And he tries to hit it against the wall and he just goes, Thuh. Yeah. David, have you been buying the cheap stuff? Well, because like when the bartender was like $35, I was like, $35? I know. (laughs) I was like, guaranteed, that is Taka. (laughs) Yeah, when he said $35, I was like, that is a mostly empty bottle. There's no other chance. Exactly. God. But yeah, I I just love the – this is this is the first time I was like, is Noah, Brandon, and Dylan? Because in this moment, I was like, this is sort of Dylan in the attitude, but mm-hmm. Brandon in the actions, you know? And then, like, later on, I'll mention the other, like, totally Brandon-Dylan moment. I just had the memory of when Brandon was dating, was it Nikki? And her ex-boyfriend came back into town and wanted to, like – take her and so Brandon mm-hmm. came and got one punch in and yes. saved the day and like her ex-boyfriend was tall her I remember boyfriend was uh David Arquette yes and like David Arquette is not that tall but he is to Brandon <laughs> he's like oh. Steve to Brandon you know <laughs> oh my gosh yeah we'll we'll have to talk about Noah just being a Branlin baby when we get there yes because we're we are still not through with David causing problems Mm -hmm. because Donna is at a photo shoot and David shows up and I could not I almost lost my mind when she's like this is not a good time I'm at work and he's like well it's a good time for me like Mm -hmm. do you want her back exactly and like yeah this is so to your point from earlier about how, like, maybe Donna opening the door and saying, like, I still have hope for us, like, fuels some of this anger. Yeah. Like, it was almost like the kindling that then Valerie just threw a whole bunch of gasoline on, right? Like, that – but no. Like, you can't control somebody else's reaction to something you say, right? So mm-hmm. – but the fact, yeah, that he's just so inappropriate by coming in to her place of business and starting a fight with her, I'm like – I get that this is drama and this is just how we have to like, we can't just always show them at the beach apartment or at an appropriate location, right? For them to have this conversation. But I'm like, this is none of, this is none of his business. Yeah. What she does after they've broken up is none of his business. And then he has the audacity to assume and ask if she slept with him. Like, dude, it took her, you know, Eight seasons. Yes. Seven eight seasons. Fold, whatever. To sleep with him for the first time. He knows what a big deal that is to her. Like, even if it was, you know, Donna realizing that having sex with David is not a big deal. Like, and by that, I just mean, like, it doesn't, it didn't affect her in the way she was afraid it would affect her. 
Mm-hmm. That doesn't mean she's just going to start an avalanche, you know, like that's not how it works. And the audacity that he has to ask that. Oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. And then she's like, I don't have time for this conversation or whatever. Mm-hmm. And he goes, I'm not finished yet. Like, yeah. And this is this is what I mean. Like he he's always been an angry person. And so yeah. I think he used what she said as an excuse for this conversation. But like, I really hope that he realizes what he's doing and he calms down because like we know the end game here. We know how this show ends. And when you have stuff like this happen, I'm like, how am I supposed to care? Like a hundred percent. I'm sorry. You can't just forget. Like, I think that's why it's so important to be able to like take a breath when you are angry. Mm Mm-hmm. Because your words really do have an effect on people. Like, I mean, I mean, and, and I'm not saying, like, our relationship is perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But, like, that's specifically why Nate and I don't use, like, we don't swear to or at or about each other. And mm-hmm. we don't call each other names. Because it's like, that stuff's going to stick with me a lot more than all of the I love yous. You know what I mean? And I just, to your point, how are you supposed to care about Endgame? in this scenario when you constantly hear all of this stuff that yeah. is harmful and hurtful and and not not building a solid foundation exactly like this is just another brick in the wall that is like between Donna and David in my brain like i yeah. just can't right right exactly exactly yeah and then it really doesn't help because i think this might be like the next day or later that day I don't know I think it's later that day where David walks in through the peach pit and Val comes over like really freaked out because she's like oh there's some guys looking for you over in the pee pad what's going on Mm -hmm. and then David goes in and he says something where he's just like I don't have the money but I don't care what you have to do to me so just do it Mm -hmm. and then they're just like okay fine but you don't owe me any money so I don't care bye Which and like of course, like, like for me, I'm like, why he could they could anyway they could have done this over the phone. I know it's for drama, but <laughs> they could have done. <laughs> they just called and he's like, "Are you about to come break my legs?" No, you're <laughs> no, paid in your full. Is paid, yeah. Like, okay, but of course, the whole point to that is like, yeah, David's like conveniently off the hook, and then we have to watch the loan shark and his buddy walk outside of the peach pit. And this <laughs> Noah sitting in his Jeep, just like, <laughs> like staring, just sitting there watching them leave where he's like, yeah, I'll give you $22,000 again. You just watch me. Right. Like just the look. And that's when I was like, this is Dylan and Brandon because yeah. it was the attitude and the white night of it all that. Oh, it sealed the deal. And I kind of love it. I'm like, yes, I want this. I think this is what I want your character to be. <laughs> I'm honestly totally fine with it. And I really can't wait to figure out like how everyone's going to find out he has money and find out that he did this. Because yes. it's going to be so good. It's going to be so good. And that's – I mean, David's out of debt and David and Donna broke up for reals for reals and Val yep. just kind of caused chaos and that was all they did this week. Like, yep. it was actually not a lot, even though we talked about it for a good 25 minutes. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
man. But anyway, Mary, what else happened this week? Erica is arrested and then released to Brandon and Kelly's custody thanks to Kelly's work at the Wyatt Foundation. And side note, is that the first time we found out the name of the foundation? Yes. Brandon and Kelly won't press charges for Erica stealing their stuff once she agrees to give back what she still has, and they make her doctor and therapy appointments. Brandon interviews Erica for an anonymous Beverly Beat story about her life, which attracts Assistant District Attorney Deborah Mills to the idea of prosecuting Riggs. She demands Brandon give up Erica's name, explaining that he will be obstructing justice in a felony kind of way if he doesn't. Can we just talk about the fact that the very first scene in this story is Brandon calling the cops to, like, make sure they're out looking for Erica and Kelly just being like, you know, if Val had just done her job, this wouldn't have happened. Agreed. And Brandon takes up for Valerie again. All the time. And... Okay, when he said that Val lost a $20,000 necklace, I was so yeah. confused. Like Me too. It was like such a non sequitur to me. I had to yes. sit there and be like, oh, because they got robbed. Yes. And also that that was the necklace that Cooper Hargrove gave to her. I was like, why does she have an expensive necklace? And I'm like, oh. Well, <laughs> and my brain is even like, is that what her appointment was? She lost a necklace and had to go tell a client? Like, Ooh. I was so lost yeah. for a solid, like, 15 seconds. Me too. And especially, like, just going back to the whole, like, Brandon takes up for Val again. Like, this reminds me of, well, first, this is such a, like, kind of white knight savior complex the thing to do for Brandon because it makes me think of the storyline in One Tree Hill where the Chad Michael Murray's character like he does the same thing where he's dating one girl but is kind of conveniently always there for the other one and at one point Hillary Burton's character is like god do you ever actually defend the person you're dating like, do you, are you ever actually there for the person you're actually dating? Because he's just always, you know, trying to save someone else or trying to, you know, come to the aid of someone else. And I'm like, okay, this is this is definitely a trope that stands the test of time. <laughs> yeah. Anyway. I mean, it, Brandon truly is the only reason that anyone would tolerate Val forever. Like, uh, Exactly. Yeah, 100%. It, he has twice the good personality. He uses, like – he builds up the like the white knight personality good karma just to like give it to her. He's like, totally. "Hey, she lost $20,000 too." Yeah, she's a victim in this too. I really wish it had been $10,000 just because everyone always <laughs> wants to give Val $10,000. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. So Brandon has been spending all this time calling detectives. Kelly acknowledges that like I'm going to take the van out from the foundation and go look for Erica on the street, which Really doesn't make sense to me for 75 different reasons. She <laughs> doesn't work with the teenagers, so she's just not doing her normal day job. Right. How did she get the van out? She doesn't work for this part of the foundation. Where is Pam? Oh, Why is Donna Pam? there? I like, know. They, so many questions. The last episode ended with Pam being like, Erica will die if you don't find her. And then she never comes back. I missed Pam. I was like, I can't believe Why do I miss Pam? But, like, Kelly kind of takes over for the, like, snarky bluntness that Pam had when she's telling Donna. Because, like, when they're in the vans, 
they go to like i guess the same area of town that they were in before and apparently kelly is an expert now because of pam and donna's just like like they see someone being approached perhaps for you know you know a deal or whatever and Kelly's like, yep, there it is. And Donna's like, well, it just looks like he's asking for directions. And then Kelly's just like, yeah, to a no-tell motel holiday inn. I added the holiday inn part. (laughs) (laughs) But then, like, yeah, Kelly's, like, super jaded, super blunt. And Donna's just like, oh, my God, like, so shocked. So she's playing the Kelly role now. And I'm like, well, Pam did her job. (laughs) (laughs) Pam is just like. When Kelly showed up for the keys, she was like, I need the keys so I can go find all the teenage prostitutes that are going to get <laughs> murdered by their pimps. And Pam was like, I have nothing else to teach you. Here yeah. you go. <laughs> the, gra- the, the What is it? The, the, um, the student has become the master. <laughs> when, like, now I have all these questions of, like, are we just going to canonically change that Kelly works with teenagers now or kids of all ages? She doesn't work with little kids anymore. I or can is this, see that. Is this foundation just, like, so fluid that she yeah. just goes to work wherever she wants to every day? Or just so, like, good about allowing their volunteers and employees just kind of follow their passions, right? Like, (laughs) it's so weird. But, yeah, I do – this whole thing is wild. And then Kelly is just like, well, yeah, you know, it's like all those teenagers that come out to Hollywood to get famous. And when it doesn't work, they end up on the streets and start doing illegal things to make ends meet. I'm like, who wrote this? Like, you guys are all in Hollywood. Like, you guys are <laughs> Hollywood writers. Do you have friends that this happened to? Like, what what is going on? It just made me so happy that Kelly has just become the jaded person. Right? And it's just like, no. It's like, <laughs> sometimes it's just really funny to me. Well, and apparently at one point, you know, Kelly and Brandon get a call. And, and so Brandon tells Kelly that they found Erica in Orange Grove in the next scene that we have with them and but they won't release her into a guardian but then kelly again pulls a pam and knows the rules like backwards and forwards she's like well no but the the rule is actually that if she has no guardian she can be released into like the foundation and brandon's like and also we're family (laughs) (laughs) that when she says that and the cop is like okay so you're part of the foundation and brandon goes also she's a friend yeah (laughs) I'm like, is Brandon, you're not helping. Brandon was like, I haven't talked for 15 seconds. Yeah, I have to insert my knowledge here. It made no sense. Like, all you had to say was that Kelly has a legal right to take the child. Exactly. Oh, my God. But no. I do also really love, like, okay, they go into the holding cell where she is. They find all of this, like, stolen jewelry on her. They're not going to press charges. And then the detective is like, no, nothing else. I've seen too much today. Yeah. And just lets her go. I was like, wait a minute. You're a cop. Like, you're a literal detective. This is your job every single day, but yet you've seen too much already? Well, I'm like, yeah, that makes me think that this was actually, like, really bad and we should be really concerned. But instead, they're just like, look at her. She looks like a teenage actress. She's fine. Like, And and here's all the stuff she stole. BG dubs. Like, yeah. Yeah. No. But – the next morning, yeah, Brandon and Kelly go, like, full parent mode. Oh, my God. It was so – I kind of actually loved it, not for the, like, not for the reasons you might think. I just kind of liked it because we know these actors are much closer to their 30s than they are their young 20s. And so you could see – and Jenny Garth has had a child by this point, 
And so you can just, the vibes are immaculate for like how they actually are, you know, in parent mode. So I was like, they nailed this. <laughs> well, and I love that Brandon is like, your doctor's appointment is at 11 and Kelly's like, it's a gynecology appointment. Your yes. therapy doctor is at yes. one. <laughs> and yeah, enough time to do all these appointments, get up, call Iris, and also go to the apartment and get the rest of their stolen stuff that she didn't have on her when she was arrested. Yes. And, and because she pawned like all the big stuff. Yeah. She was like, I can get all the small stuff back. That's fine. And they do mention later, she's like, I'll go to the pawn shop with you to get your other stuff back. Right. Exactly. Except for the silver pocket watch that Dylan gave him. Oh, my gosh. But all this stuff with Julie was, oh. like, so heartbreaking. I like, know. Julie's there. She's the girl that Erica had gotten arrested with the day before. And I think she got very lucky in the fact that she got arrested the day before she turned 18 because she would not be out right now. They'd probably honestly hold her and charge her as an adult if she's 17 in 364 days. But but it turns out it's her birthday today and Riggs gave her a present of drugs and a surprise. Oh, God. And like the only thing I didn't like, which I kind of like let it slide because I was so focused on – the actress who was playing Julie's performance, but I hated when Brandon and Kelly were talking about her right in front of her when they're like, look at her. She's so stoned. You know, like I I just didn't like that because it made it seem like Julie was so far gone that you could just kind of talk bad about her right in front of her and she wouldn't even notice when it's like, she's having a completely legible and coherent conversation with Erica two seconds later. But I kind of do think that what you're getting from that, where they're like, she's so stoned and she's not really acknowledging it. I think that kind of is what they're going for because after Erica gives her the pocket watch and is like, Hey, hold on to this. It's a gift from my brother. Mm -hmm. Then like they go to leave and this like kind of ominous music starts playing and Julie yeah. is just standing in the middle of the room talking at them while they're right. walking away. Like she's not even really registering. They're leaving and not going to stay. And she's like, oh my gosh, can you imagine Riggs in a party hat with a carrot cake? Right, right. And like, like I think that's fine. I just maybe, maybe the maybe it was like the way they said it. Like the link, maybe it was the language they used, which has been the whole issue with all this like the amount of times they use the word pimp and you know all this kind of stuff maybe it was that that got me yeah they're definitely going for like a csi new york or like when the ominous music started going i was like this is kind of horror movie-ish of like totally she's just standing there talking at you and she's just so stoned out of her mind that she can't even fathom that you're not staying for carrot cake like right right kind of scary yeah totally no 100 percent. yeah but Brandon, like, a short scene where Brandon takes Erica to the Beverly Beat because he wants to write an article, write a story about her, but do it anonymously, not put her name in it, just talk about things. Which I always think it's funny that they are focusing on the fact that she is a teenage runaway living on the streets in L.A. when we could also talk about how her childhood was basically being kidnapped by her parents and taken to Brazil so they could steal all of her brother's money. Like, yes, we got, like – a seven-part series on this girl. <laughs> we do. But there, there were like two line readings in this that I loved. <laughs> when they first show up and Brandon's like, this is where I work. This is my newspaper. Erica's just like, wow. <laughs> like, 
just the way she delivered that cracked me up. Um, and then, yeah, when Brandon's telling her that he wants to write the story on her life, keep it anonymous, things that'll help people, when she's like, Brandon, the girls that do what I do, they don't read the paper. I'm like, yeah. Like, I understand, you know, what Brandon's going for, because obviously if you, you know, publicize this kind of stuff, then there are more opportunities for people to get help and for people to help people. Mm -hmm. But I do think it's a really excellent point that I think sometimes, of course, people that aren't going through certain traumas or aren't living certain ways just don't see because it's not right in front of them or they're not experiencing it is this idea that the written word or something is so powerful. It will just transcend, you know, and reach just the right person at the right time. And I do that think that can be the case for some, like, again, for people to help people, but not direct, not in the direct way that he's thinking. And I love that they have Erica point that out. Yeah. And, <laughs> I kind of love that he just doesn't even really register. He's like, maybe, but maybe not. And maybe they do read my paper and we just need one person to read it. Which like the other side of it is I think, you know, Brandon does think this is an interesting story to tell. But I think his like maybe without acknowledging it, yeah, they kind of want to turn this into like Brandon always does the right thing. And he's an investigative journalist and the AP is going to pick it up again and run it in the Times and blah, blah, blah. Mm -hmm. Like what – um. Who was it? Was it Steve that made the comment that, like, Brandon wants to write stories to prove himself? Yeah. Yeah, Because he was going to write about his dad in the uh, sweatshops. That's right. That's right. I feel like this is kind of very similar without them really acknowledging it because Brandon did the same thing. He was like, I'll keep your dad's name out of it, but I'm going to write the story. Right. And I do think, like, I mean, there's certainly merit. Again, it's like if you start making things more – if you bring more visibility and more light to stuff, then of course, like it, that matters. Mm-hmm. I just think sometimes, you know, it's just, it's a little bit of a fairy tale in some ways because yeah. there has to be systemic change, not just like one newspaper article in a small local paper that's going to change the world, you know? And, and yeah. I know Brandon's lofty aspirations of saying like, well, if this does get picked up by the AP and run in the times and then it it spreads like wildfire. That's the dream. Mm-hmm. It's just there has to be a lot more than just one article one time. Yeah. That's why I'm saying. Write a whole series on her. Yeah. But I also noticed that his shirt was very unbuttoned and we just got a whole bunch of Brandon chest hair. And <laughs> I was so distracted. <laughs> See, and I was just distracted by, wow. <laughs> <laughs> I think they happened at the same time. So you heard the words and I was staring at Brandon being like, how do I take a screenshot of this? Oh, my God. <laughs> but like, oh, my gosh. When we cut ahead later and Erica has agreed to do the story, they get it out. It goes in the paper and then she's reading it and she's like, you put Riggs's name in here. He's going to kill me. Yeah. But then we got to talk about the assistant DA. Yeah. Because she shows up at the Beverly Beat. She says she wants to put a case together against Riggs, mm-hmm. insinuating there has been no traction on one before now, but she read the article and wants to go after him for, you know, all of this stuff. I don't know exactly what the charges would be. Right. But she insists that Brandon has to give up his source. And he's like, no, she's anonymous for her protection. And the DA is like, well, without her, there's no case. And I'm sitting here thinking there literally was no case before this went to press. Like you literally didn't know this person existed. 
why can't you just go down to the corners where he works and build your own case? A hundred percent. And I was like, there's, first of all, there's no way she read Brandon's story. Like, there's just no way. Um, but secondly, yeah, when she was like, I want to put the case together about the pimp you're talking about. Again, the use of the word pimp, man. And she wants a source. I'm like, it, it, at this moment in the episode, I was like, is this legal? Like, is the, like, can you literally force somebody to give up a source? Like, there is the, like, there, so I'm very ignorant on the whole scenario, but, like, the freedom Same. of the press, but then also protection of sources. Like, I do know that there are and I know there's like sometimes it's more of a relationship building part to the whole story because I'm thinking about the Ted Lasso episode where like Trent Krem like mm-hmm. ends up revealing his source to Ted like yeah but that's a no-no in the industry right it's more of a like understood thing so at this point I'm like is this a legal thing to do like if you're a DA or if you're in the legal um space is, is this a real thing to be battling with the press on revealing a source or not? And does that literally mean that you cannot build a case without said source? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I don't have an answer for this. I am ignorant much like you are. But it seems to me, yeah, it's it's also a relationship issue. Like yeah. you, you can't just go in and demand these things because like – Print journalism is not that big of a world. If word spreads that you're trying to force people to reveal their sources, people are going to stop trusting you. Yes. And so then the fact that, like, you know, the DA says, oh, well, we'll protect her. Brandon doesn't trust that. And then assistant DA uh, Deborah Mills just goes, like, full, like, oh, well, we're going to prosecute him no matter who stands in my way. You know, like, all this stuff. And I'm like, okay, great go do that (laughs) go find all of the other people that he has affected and and abused like erica is one person now you see that there's like i think my point is that you read the article so now you know this is a bigger deal why do you need the one yeah go go don't take the easy way out here go go get your detectives on the case like yeah do your job yeah like, why like, are you relying on one this one instance when you know, based on this article that you supposedly read, there's a bunch? Yeah. Well, and then what I find really interesting is later, Kelly is just like, you should give Erica's name. Yeah. And Erica over here, so it could be a whole other situation where all their shit gets stolen and Erica runs away. But Brandon said he's going to keep her name out of it. End of story. And I yeah. love that he sticks to that Me this too. whole time. Like. I think we don't see it again until the next day, but Kelly has now pulled Erica aside and is like, hey, you should call the DA. And Erica's like, well, Brandon said I didn't have to. And Brandon comes in, sends Erica out of the room, and then changes the subject because he's like, no, we're not talking about this anymore. She yeah. doesn't want to. I said she don't have to. Don't yeah. Doesn't have to. <laughs> I said she don't have to. <laughs> but it's this, this is the kind of trust building that – you expect, weirdly enough, from someone else, not Brandon. Mm-hmm. You know, because, like, to your point earlier, the assumption is that Brandon is going to do the right thing, even if it's hard, or even mm-hmm. if it hurts people, or even if it gets in the way of somebody else's, like, 
desires to protect somebody they love or like whatever it may be. And so the fact that Brandon is like, no, I'm going to break the rules, even if they're not really breaking the rules, it's just not following other rules, right? Like because of this person and because of this scenario. And so, yeah, I appreciate that kind of savior complex in a way because it's not as much of a savior complex as it is like human decency. And so Mm -hmm. I appreciate that this isn't something that is like, you know, we're seeing him push way like past the bounds of what he normally does because this actually feels like the right thing to do for this scenario. It's not him going out of his way to then look like the hero. It's like, no, he's just literally doing the right thing. Yeah. I mean, he's maintaining his journalistic integrity while also protecting Dylan's little sister, which I feel like the sister thing is always going to be what gets Brandon because that's why he deals Mm. with Val. You know, we didn't actually really see it that much with Brenda, but I I do think part of it has to do with the fact that this is Dylan's sister. Yeah. And like to your point about it not really happening as much with Brenda, it's like maybe it didn't happen literally when they were growing up, but over time it's like he's recognized the value of protecting your sister or your loved one or having a sister and feeling some sort of pull to protect them that he Mm -hmm. didn't experience when he was 16 years old, but has now developed and is now appreciating, you know, now that he's older and he doesn't have his sister to protect. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt there because, yeah, it really sucked that he didn't do that, but he was also 16, you know? I know. Yeah. (laughs) And, you know, to give him credit, it works on his side, Mm -hmm. but the fact that Kelly is pressuring and everybody wants – her to go to the DA. Hey, Erica yeah. steals Kelly's car. Oh my god. Like when she takes the keys and goes and Kelly's like, crap, I left them out. <laughs> like, come on, Kelly. I mean, literally, like the last time that this happened where Erica overhears you having a conversation telling her, telling Brandon to make Erica do something she doesn't want to do, she stole mm-hmm. all your shit. Well, so, and like, like last time you didn't know she was overhearing this time you knew because she specifically comes out and is like what no like she reacts so it's like okay put your put your guards up guys but they assume that she went back right back to the apartment with julie which thankfully is right yeah and then we have this horrible moment where we find out that riggs's present for julie was a guy that was going to beat the shit out of her god and she is like having trouble breathing and she yeah. is just covered in bruises and blood and she's so upset. And Brandon and Kelly call 911 and then Riggs shows up and Brandon stands up to him and then it just the scene ends. Yeah, it was. Yeah, it. I wish we would have seen the fallout there because again, it was kind of like that first instance where we met Riggs. And Brandon stands up to him. It, it felt very um, unrealistic mm-hmm. that Riggs wouldn't just attack Brandon and feel no consequences, right? Because that's apparently the kind of guy that he is, is yeah. that he's this big bad wolf, his words, that doesn't care who he hurts because he's so powerful, right? And so the fact that like some other guy who's supposedly a good guy just stands in the way shouldn't shouldn't mean anything to Riggs. Um, So I wish we would have actually seen the fallout of that instead of just ending because then they make the whole point of this episode or this scene be that Julie can't even hold on to the pocket watch because of her experience and because of how badly she was beaten and treated and all this stuff. And the reveal is that 
here's the pocket watch and now Brandon sees that Erica had it all along like yeah it took it took me out of the scene yeah it was it was a really short weird moment that like I don't know serves to prove that Brandon and Kelly and Erica can all get along because they take her back to Casa Walsh and they're like oh man I'd love to listen to some music right now it'd be great if we had a stereo cough cough Erica and then Erica's like oh you guys I said I'd go with you later to get it but first I have to call Iris like they're just better now I know it felt too neatly like tied up because yeah yeah, like all of a sudden now because she saw Julie get beaten which she's probably seen several times and Brandon quote-unquote stood up to Riggs and he let her keep the pocket watch now it's driven her to want to call Iris and fix everything yeah, it, and get Julie into the outreach program, and yeah, and joke about the the stolen stuff, like yeah. And so it's like supposed to be all wrapped up in a neat little bow, but then the episode's like, see, we're all fine except cliffhanger. Yeah, Deborah Mills is back, and apparently, yeah, like Riggs is at the center of a child prostitution ring, and. Deborah Mills still wants his source and because he won't reveal that apparently he can go to jail which I don't know if that's true so I don't want to comment on if it's true or not but I'm like if you guys went through the whole ordeal of finding out that he's the center of a child prostitution ring go that that means there are several several people involved in this why are you relying on this one person go see Pam go see Pam like that's the thing that gets me is I I cannot speak to, you know, if the rules are still like this, they, you know, specifically talk about California state law because Brandon looks up the law and is like, yeah. hey, this is why you can't compel me to give up my sources. And then the DA is like, yeah, okay, for a misdemeanor, but it is a felony if you obstruct me, mm-hmm. which, yeah, when she comes and says that Briggs is at the center of a child prostitution ring, I'm like, you literally didn't know about this until the article came out. Like, why yeah. are you doing this? Yeah. It makes no sense to me. Yeah. No, 100%. I I don't get it. And like, yeah, like go to the foundation, go to go start talking to people on the streets where you know that Riggs patrols like or or has um, power on like there are so many different avenues that not only could she go down, but probably should to get as much information as possible. I know yeah, it's, it's for the drama. I, I know. know. And it's it's the thing. I think the thing that gets me is that they got rid of Pam after last episode and she was so dramatic. And now we've got Deborah Mills and she is so dramatic yeah. that I'm like, yeah. okay, but is Deborah Mills even going to be here next week? Like all of a sudden Brandon's magically not arrested because Erica decided to come forward and the regular DA stands up and like instead right. of Pam or Deborah, we're going to have Kathy. Right. Like, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's very much like how in in arrow laurel was assistant da right like she wasn't the da she was assistant da but we got to keep her because she was a main character of the show we never actually saw the da and this it's like the opposite it's like we see the d the assistant da one time but next week i guarantee you we're not going to see her like you said and we're just going to see the da this time or or another detective like what what happened to the the detective in kelly's case that brandon could probably reach out to and be like hey man this is what's going on with the DA or the ADA. Like, can you help me here? 
You yeah, know or I mean? like the cop that they just used to find Erica yes. and Julie. Like, yes. go to Vice, ma'am. I know. It, it just, yeah. I just, yeah. I, get, I don't know. I I should be more driven by this story, but I something about Deborah Mills and how extra she is really pulls me out of it and I can't explain yeah. it or like maybe it's the fact that you know Erica's just fine now that she saw her friend get beat up which like you said probably has happened before yeah it just but, yeah. yeah no 100% it's like like you said right when you were talking through the ex- the exposition it's like they had to make it look nice to then break it down and yeah. I'm like you don't have to you, you don't. don't you literally don't like just keep adding keep throwing on the pile that's yes. also drama yes yeah, I mean, I will say I don't have anything else to say, and I don't think I wrote down a single quote other than, did I mention Noah was downstairs at the bar? Well, I have two that are my quotes of the week. Yeah, I mean, I think everything I wrote was just, like, goofy stuff because there's the beginning when Val goes to see Noah and she says, people make mistakes, and he goes, yeah, I've made plenty enough to know which ones are unforgivable, and she just says, why won't you let it go? <laughs> or anytime David was like, I'm not finished yet. And then Kelly telling Donna, You got through the breakup by spending the day with your parents? Yeah, that was funny. Yeah, that's all I got. I I don't have anything of like actual substance. <laughs> Me neither. Um when or I have when Donna was telling Kelly that, oh yeah, by the way, the kiss was totally a mistake. And they're reacting to that. And Kelly's like, oh, no. And Donna's like, wow. (laughs) So I wrote that down because I thought that was fucking adorable. Um, And also David talking to the loan sharks being like, here's the deal. I don't have the money. (laughs) Oh, my God. Yeah. And see, it's unfortunate that, like, my actual quota leak got overshadowed by what ended up happening but the first one was obviously erica saying wow like to brandon's <laughs> job um but the second one is at the very end when the assistant da comes back to the house and rings the doorbell like the doorbell rings and brandon and kelly look at each other and brandon just goes i better get that it might be the doorbell which we've heard before i love it i better get that it might be the phone yeah exactly i better get that it might be the door like <laughs> What are you doing, Brandon? And I love you so much. I love him. Like, yeah, that could have been so cute. And then it was like, no, Brandon, straight to jail. Yeah, right? Oh, my God. Don't reveal the source. Straight to jail. Mary, what about you? What is your moment of the week? 100% Val showing up in the office at the pee pad just to be like, hey, David, guess what I saw today? And guess who was downstairs right this minute? Right after David is like, Val, please don't be here to stir shit up. And she's like, too bad. My spoon is right here. Yeah, too bad. I'm ready. Oh, my God. Nothing would have made me happier than like – it would have been inexplicable. But if she had just like a little china like teacup and saucer with a spoon and she's like, stir what up? Stir. Right? Like it would have been so on the nose but also hilarious. Just do some prop work. Hello, David. Stir. God. Oh, I love God her. damn it. I love her so much. So much. Oh, gosh. Okay, well, 
So what's next week? Is she going to have a complete backseat again? Are we going to find out that Noah's rich? I sure hope so. And like we – because like to your point, you know, like we've got to be starting to count down the days or episodes of when everybody starts finding out about Noah's incredible wealth, right? So we've got Brandon and obviously like to some level David, like not really, but he knows like Noah took care of it, right? He just is so mad right now that he doesn't care. Um, So yeah, I'm hoping that's what we get or at least it's starting to get. So, but all I can tell you right now is that next week we have season eight, episode 11, deadline i mean it's it's got to do with like the beverly beat or maybe steve has to make a decision about his paternity before he finds out the answers of the test or something i don't know i i got nothing because like the only deadline that would have made any sense to me now would have been the loan sharks and that's just gone right exactly so you know i guess it could be around the investigation like the ADA gives Brandon a deadline of when to reveal the source or she's going to press charges. Like it's right. It has to be. Yeah. Okay. Well, we'll find out next week. And until then you can follow us on Instagram at back to podcast. You can also shoot us over an email of anything you want, anything at all at back to podcast at gmail.com. That's B-A-C-K-T-O podcast at gmail.com. And don't forget to go into your podcast app and rate, review, subscribe, share it with all your friends and family. All that stuff really helps us get seen and build a community and then we can give y'all a better product. And if you leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts, we'll give you a shout out on the show because we really appreciate you. So until next week, from all of us at Back to Podcast, I'm sorry, I can't reveal my sources. I saw Noah and Donna kissing. Total lip lock. I gotta go get some popcorn to put on my ice cream. Isn't that a nice callback? Bye. Bye. See ya.